0: Hey everyone, this is Josh from the Solopreneur Grind podcast for episode 101. David, you've uh, you, you've struck the triple digits uh, section of the podcast. I want to uh, introduce my guest for today. He is the CEO and founder of Voices.com, David Cicerelli. David, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
1: Great to be here, Josh. Congratulations on the triple digits. The, the odometers, odometers rolled over. That's great.
0: Exactly, exactly. Great to have you here, David. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, uh, just a really quick intro about yourself and what you're working on right now?
1: Sure, yeah. The, the company is voices.com. Um, we are an online marketplace where we connect um, corporate clients, think of like ad agencies and video producers and marketing departments with uh, voice talent uh, and audio producers. So um, the, com- you know, the talent have background in performing arts, maybe music, theater. They'll have great voices in home-based recording studios and they're looking for work and uh, that next gig, if you will. And then those clients uh, kind of described kind of who they are as software, you know, people in software companies, you know, corporate marketing departments, as they say, and they're uh, looking for a voice to tell a story. Could be to inform or otherwise educate or entertain their audience, and uh, yet they need the human voice to uh, you know communicate to that audience in a in a compelling fashion. So they come to uh, Voices as a marketplace to find that uh, great voice talent and uh, bring that script to life.
0: Awesome. So Upwork for for not to obviously oversimplify what you've done, but an Upwork for voice workers. Yeah. Oh,
1: we we, we admire Upwork. Our uh, one of our independent board members. Um, was a previous SVB of enterprise sales at Upwork, so there's was a lot of uh, comparables and, and comparisons. I think I would consider uh, Upwork as a horizontal generalist uh, marketplace, right. whereas you know we try to carve our little uh, niche out in the world of being very kind of um, centered around voice as the the medium and and kind of audio, all things audio content.
0: Right, and I want to quickly jump into a question on that, David. Is that is, is there a better way? What would you recommend to entrepreneurs or potential co-founders and stuff like that? Um, how do you decide whether you should be kind of like a generalist marketplace, like an Upwork? Um, or I'm trying to think of, of another example where like, um, you know, maybe like a, an Etsy, which is like all kind of art, uh, as opposed to going deep, like a Voices.com or like, you know, like making the comparison to Etsy is maybe like, Teespring or, or one of those stores where it's like just t-shirts, very, yeah. very niche, specialized.
1: I mean, there, there are some huge players. I mean, we talk Upwork and, you know, Fiverr, I think would be kind of those would be mm-hmm. like the one, two. Um, I mean, they're publicly traded companies like market caps in the five to ten billion dollar range. They're just massive. So you have to ask yourself, you know, where can I win, right? Where can I be different? Um, from those larger players and in a two-sided marketplace um, you know what you might consider doing if that's you know viewing huge trends around freelancing you know pick one of those vertical special you know uh, areas of expertise maybe you're great at graphic design or you know a lot of graphic designers maybe it's even something more kind of specialized like logo design or even kind of 3d animation and uh, you know that that's really kind of what we had done um, with voices and background is actually in audio engineering so this was kind of a space i knew well and uh and so it felt very natural to me i mean and and i think over time you can consider hey is it the right moment to you know expand add on other adjacencies or kind of complementary categories um but i think one of the ways we've uh, dare i say kind of been successful up to date has been that we have been so focused on uh, on one area, you kind of gain a gain a bit of a name for yourself. You know, the, you really understand the nuance of mm-hmm. that uh, vertical market, and for the most part, I think that's uh, I think that's played out pretty well. You you know, I think of it as in terms of like optionality. You can always right. expand into other categories should there be a compelling reason to do so, but until then, um, if you feel like there's lots of wood to chop in your in your space. Um, headroom is sometimes we describe it like where you are today versus like where you want to go. And if there's there's lots of space, then generally for the most part, you, you probably want to stick within that and just go just go deep. So right. there's always a temptation, but we've, we've uh, you know, found it to be more successful trying to own and lead lead within one vertical market before uh, considering others.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's a great answer. David, can we go a little deeper into that background you were mentioning? What, what were you doing before Voices.com or, or how did your career start even?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like most uh, entrepreneurs, I think it kind of there's usually some inkling maybe in childhood or, you know, an early life experience uh, for me. Uh, you know, mom and dad put me in music lessons and, and I had always fascinated with with uh, piano, um, play drums. We also had you know, cool audio technology that I really loved. There was a record player at home, um, used to create mixtapes and you know, we had the shortwave radio, you could dial into radio stations around the world. So there's a kind of this tendency early on and I wanted to, um, I guess, you know, grab a hold of that and turn it into an education. So I went to uh, here in Ontario, Canada, called the Ontario Institute of Audio Recording Technology. In effect, a specialized kind of recording engineering uh, school and program. Uh, Graduated from there and actually opened up my uh, my own small recording studio. Hmm. Uh, And, you know, basically kind of took out a small loan, $15,000, got some equipment. And I actually ended up getting my name in the local newspaper on my birthday, the London Free Hmm. Press. And it kind of introduced me to the broader business community. Uh, and I ended up getting a few uh, you know gigs from that uh, one notable one was actually Stephanie my uh, now my dear wife and, and co-founder in the company and she at the time she was a classically trained singer she'd sing at weddings funerals other special events her mom would carpool her around the city to record these uh, these sessions sometimes people wanted to hear her audition first before hiring her and her mom saw this newspaper article believe it or not cut it out and left it for her on her bed and said, hey, you should go get your singing repertoire recorded at this new studio. Hmm. And so she came down to the studio, chaperoned by her mother, of course, and uh, we ended up doing that work and, and really hit it off. Um, at the same time, Josh, there was another, those a couple other uh, gigs that kind of increased that came in, um, some uh, event management company wanted some phone system recordings, uh, hair salon wanted some radio commercials done, and they wanted hmm. a female voice. So I had just met Stephanie and so I gave her a call and I said, Hey, I I got these gigs I came in. What if I be the engineer and you be the female voice talent and Hmm. you just read this page of copy and we'll split the money 50 50. So that's what we did um, and kind of realized that we enjoyed working together and uh, built, you know, this kind of, you know, this really quite primitive, static brochure style website. Which showcased Stephanie as the one voice talent, uh, and uh, that actually soon attracted other freelancers. Somebody from mm. uh, Montreal and Quebec spoke French. Hey, do you need, ever need somebody who speaks French on your website? Can I, you know, can you list my name? We had people in New York and L.A. who did character voices and celebrity impersonations, and so we always just said yes. And it got mm-hmm. to the point where there was a few dozen talent on there that actually attracted clients who would discover the website and say, I see this person on there, um, this talent, I can click play, I can listen to them, how do I get in touch with them? And that was like that first moment where we Mm -hmm. realized, wow, maybe we should step back from doing the recording, right, and still kind of operating this kind of quasi project recording studio, step back and instead, let's be the connector. Let's be that Trusted intermediary that kind of you know brokers deals facilitates these transactions between the client who's looking for work and the talent uh, you know who's who's looking for that next project to work on um, and so that's kind of that's the genesis that's been the the main idea all of those years ago and hmm. uh, for for the most part still the same uh, business that we run today
0: right that that's very cool and as you're telling the story you can just it just starts to like the light bulb like oh that's where voices.com came from and and how it evolved and what i what i hear a lot from guests like yourself david is i think for a lot of new business endeavors they're not these like eureka moments where someone has a brilliant idea out of the blue and they open a business and they ride off into the sunset right it's it's very often the case of especially for someone like you you're doing another version of it or something you know parallel to it and as you keep accepting these new opportunities something else presents itself you usually pretty related Um, my
1: my dad always you know made sure it was kind of top of mind he's like you just never know what this business is going to evolve into next year and really kept me open-minded because you know, failing that. It would've just been, no, got to re- run this recording studio, bill out at $30 an hour, you know, kind of trading time for money type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think we did actually, you know, the, the, the calculus early on after kind of getting these first couple of gigs and, you know, pairing people up, you know, in the earliest days, it was, there was no web application. It was just a, a static, uh, static website. I think we, Stephanie and I, you know, at, the, at that time, you know, married and had one child um, and I think we're realizing do we really want to continue trying to run this recording studio or what if we could you know as we call it in in, in the startup world pivot right it's, mm-hmm. it's this it's this evolution of the idea into something new and the, the calculus was simple the goal is how, how could we generate a hundred thousand dollars and of of just sales and it's like wow that's a lot of billable hours if you will in the recording studio Mm-hmm. Um, or we could, you know, at the first iteration of the business model was actually a membership based website, where we would, um, you know, sell um, the the brand promise, if you will, to the voice talent was in exchange for a modest annual subscription or annual membership fee, which at the time was $49 a year, we will then go out and market you uh, on the web. This was before LinkedIn before WordPress or Wix and you could kind of spin up your own site this was like giving you know voice actors who didn't have those kind of you know technical skills certainly computer or internet-based skills a presence online and mm-hmm. so that felt like a good deal uh, to them um, and it provided us with cash early on. That we then went out and marketed the site very early. Users of Google AdWords when it was you know 10, 12 cents to buy traffic from Google, mm-hmm. um, you know just made a lot of phone calls to ad agencies, just trying to generate awareness. But it was very much bootstrapped um, from the beginning. But I appreciate you know how how you picked that up, which is it's it's a it's very incremental. Yeah. at the beginning, but to the rest of the world, it looks like, wow, this company just kind of came out of nowhere. But truth be told, it's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears behind the scenes.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, de- definitely more evolutionary than than revolutionary uh, in that regard. Uh, David, a, a couple of questions. So first of all, can you're talking about kind of like when you started, and can you give us a timeline? Because I'm very curious to know, like, how long did it take you to get your first business up and running? And then, you know, how long did it take to kind of evolve and and end up co-founding what is now Voices.com and also to give a, an idea to people of like how long has it been for Voices.com as well right it sounds like you probably started in the i don't know the very early 2000s or early late 2000s, 90s would yeah, be my early guess 2000s, yeah two
1: thousands, um you know met stephanie kind of 2003 2004 started really kind of seriously working together we in cor- uh, so that was kind of recording studio uh, days our first version of the website where we, we were bringing on uh, other talent um and it was just a it was just a partnership agreement that we had um you know registered with the province um that was in 2004-2005 to 2005. Hmm. we moved into a uh, co-working facility uh, at the university of western ontario uh, in 2005 and that's where we realized and, and and at the time i think we we had you know, a few hundred talent subscribing. Oh wow! Um, to this site, so we realized, wow, the let's incorporate this business. Um, you know, that's, you know, in in the early days, you're just trying to kind of figure out where do I spend my time and energy, and legal structure wasn't exactly top of mind. So I yeah. think after, after a couple of years, I think we were given some really good advice, uh, which is to, hey, your marriage, your you know trying to raise a family maybe you should consider separating the legal liability um, and hence the um, the corporation uh, was right. an avenue to do so right uh, so that that was you know kind of the early days we actually started uh as interactivevoices.com which is a bit of a mouthful <laughs> um, so you know lest anyone think that we just kind of landed on a premium domain name <laughs> you know couldn't be further from the truth Um, It was the best name Interactive Voices that we could come up with. People didn't know if it was singular or plural. um, All kinds of misspellings. It kind of pigeonholed us into being like new and interactive media. And so I really wanted to rebrand. I wanted to change the name. Um, This was in kind of 2007 now where, uh, you know, companies like where Flickr was coming out and, and Twitter, and they were dropping their vowels in their names. And it was just this kind of like, you know web 2.0 renaissance if you will and mm-hmm. um, so i looked at vox.com voxy voxio i put in a bid of a hundred thousand uh, dollars on an auction for vox.com which is Flat. latin for voice okay and uh, lost all of those nothing yeah. was going anywhere and i realized wow. uh, well maybe more of a name simplification is in order what if we could just drop this interactive and just be voices like voices.com and i did Probably what most of you listening would do, which is you just type it into Google and see, like, is there even a, way, a website there? Um, and it ended up being a medical journal called hmm. "Silencing the Critical Voices in Your Head." And I was like, oh my goodness! Well, <laughs> at least it's not like AT and T selling telecommunications or like owned yeah. by. It was basically kind of an unused, abandoned name. I did a Who Is lookup, you know, the reverse lookup to see who owns this thing. And it ended up being an internet marketer in Colorado that was managing the site for, I believe it was his sister, hmm. uh, maybe sister-in-law, but it, was, it had been abandoned since the year 2000. Hmm. And so uh, I actually contacted, again, that same lawyer who helped us set up with the incorporation, said, hey, can you reach out on our behalf and find out would they be willing to sell the name? If so, what price? And so uh, they came back and they said, he said, $50,000. I was like, well, you know, Mm. better than 100, we were going to drop on Vox, but we do not have 50,000. And the lawyer taught me an important lesson, which I I, I relay and remind myself often, which is to never take no for an answer. Maybe the timing was right. Maybe the deal terms could be negotiated. So we went back with $30,000, which we broke payments into uh, $5,000 increments. So every quarter Mm. I'd send $5,000. With that, Josh, he went for the deal. Wow! We were able to get voices.com as a domain for thirty thousand dollars, and I can say that with confidence that that was the moment. Or looking back, you know, so much in the business changed. You know, we had ten thousand users on the site at the time, and customers Microsoft, Nintendo, um, NBC, and the talent community. When we put that announcement, they they seem to rally around. They're like, "Wow, this is great! This is a it's a community that we want to be part of." It sounds like we've been there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, we also got uh, inquiries from from journalists who would who would be doing some research. You know, there'd be some new you know animated movie or some early days of like text to speech on you know Amazon Kindle was one of the stories early on. There was a reporter from CNN that reached out, they just wanted a quote or commentary. And journalists are doing research like we all do. There's what they're, they're doing research on Google. And if you mm-hmm. see, you know, site one, two, three, site with hyphen dot biz and voices.com, it's like, oh, wow. And then clearly this is the, even just right. the optics or it looks like the one, uh, a market leader. So that was a, that was a great decision. Just shows you sometimes you, you need to step out and be bold um, if it's something you really believe in.
0: And I can only imagine what that URL is worth right now. Like, I would have to imagine, like maybe seven plus figures. I don't oh, know. Well, from like,
1: t- it's funny because from time to time, you know, we'll get you know domainers. It's a whole you know subculture. Oh, yeah. I've had bad.
0: domain flippers on as guests on the show before. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, I didn't exactly. realize it's a whole. It's all a Man, whole, like, have, profession. Like,
1: thousands, like thousands and tens of thousands. Some some situations. Uh, yeah, I've I've kind of uh, listened in on a few Clubhouse. Um, you know. Of rooms because of that. It's really fascinating. But they, um, y- y- you know, I get these inquiries. I'm like, well, you want to sell the domain, you know, 25 or $50,000. I'm like, the whole like, basically would be buying the business at mm-hmm. this point. Uh, and so I think it's pretty tightly coupled um, to kind of who we are and what we do and our identity, right. because it not only serves as, you know, a brand identity, but it also doubles as the destination of where you go to uh, to get the work done. So, yeah, as I say, really, really happy with that uh, early investment
0: for sure. And I think Google loves that, too, right? Just the, the, the one line the it, it's clear what it is anyways. Um, but yeah, obviously a, a, a great decision. David, I, I have a question, somewhat selfish question. I, I want to ask you more about the pricing model at the beginning, partly because this is very top of mind for myself right now. You mentioned forty nine bucks for the year. Mm -hmm. I have two questions number one were you also taking a cut of any deals that happened so if you did match the voice actors with a company were you taking a percentage of that or any other you know was it just the 49 a year was there anything else and then number two what what would you recommend for someone who is again selfish question here they have a tech company of their own and, and they're thinking of you know these kind of like new offering doesn't really exist in the market how do you go about trying to come up with an offer to you know like what would you suggest is there a step-by-step process you guys took was it a whiteboard did you just say hey 49 screw it let's go sell it Uh, curious to hear you know maybe your process and maybe what you might recommend to someone today
1: yeah well let's let's unpack the evolution of of the business model you're right it started as a purely a membership-based website um because it was you know I mean, in effect, we put a long we Stephanie wrote this long form um, email uh, newsletter, if you will, that we that she had sent out and um, that really kind of made that pitch, you know, um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, here's how we found you. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the value that's offered. If you want to subscribe to this website, you know, you can um, you know, buy a membership uh, on. And here's the link to PayPal. So we just have a PayPal link. We sent that out, and again, dating myself here, which which at the time was the Yahoo directory. It was basically a catalog of all the websites um, that were in the arts and entertainment kind of category um, within this Yahoo directory. Stephanie emailed hundreds of people, and we ended up doing $5,000 of business over that first weekend. So right away, we knew, okay, we're on to something. So um, there wasn't, it, it it was basically trial and error. It also felt a little... You know if you will in, in, intuitive that like hey not a hundred bucks you know it's kind of like three four five bucks a month like it kind of just felt like very cheap to be right. honest and we were just trying to get enough demand it was not a freemium model and that's also important to know in the early stages. it was membership only which kind of created a bit of exclusivity right. we knew we didn't because right away we would actually have to go out and get the the other side of the market we would have the supply the talent but then my job was always the client guy. I had to go out and get all of the, all the jobs onto the platform. Mm-hmm. And so we, didn't, we almost didn't wanna oversell at the beginning because then you just have too much supply and not enough uh, demand. So right. that $49 subscription, we were um, you know, intentful, I think over the long run to, again, incrementally, I'll reuse that term, increase price when we felt like we were over delivering on value. So it went from forty nine to ninety nine. I mean, fast forward today, it's a it's a five hundred dollar a year subscription. Um, We did not have the transactional element at all.
0: Wow, Um, that is a great deal. Fifty. You figure if they get one client, it's it's more than worth it. exactly. And I
1: think that's and now what you know and that's kind of been the almost the like unstated. I mean, we did use that explicitly in the in like our messaging early on. It's like one deal and it you know you know one job in the year you pay for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think was happening was we were increasingly seeing clients, um, the buyer, gain so much value in this exchange where they didn't have to book out a recording studio because the talent worked from home. They didn't have to travel at all. They weren't going through an agent or a casting director. I mean, they were saving a couple hundred dollars easy right and so and did that, the
0: talent set their own price then yes. you just kind of intro them and said hey you guys figure yeah. it out
1: yeah we said here's the job from the client talent you quote on it and the client uh, and then submit your uh, audition if you will right along with your price and then then the client is comparing v- samples of people reading their actual script right along with a price and because it's not always the lowest price it's right. also um there's kind of a misbelief about that but you're kind of comparing quality of talent right uh, against price
0: so and it's, it's so, almost kind of like 99 designs as well yes. right in the sense yeah. that it's it's a bit of like a, a bidding so to speak
1: exactly yeah right. exactly so very the, cool yeah so, so once we were we realized we were like facilitating these transactions people would we kind of consummate the match, facilitate the transaction, but it was the transaction would occur just by an exchange of PayPal. Um, every now and then the deal would go sideways. The, the talent would, you know, generously deliver the file before it's an MP3 file or a WAV file before the work would, or sorry, before getting payment. Mm-hmm. But the talent would hold us accountable for it. And we realized we can't let this persist. So there was a, a problem there. It didn't happen all the time, but when it did, we realized wow, we feel like we have a greater responsibility here. And uh, again, through surrounding ourselves with other you know, business advisors saying like, you're delivering all this value to these corporate clients and they're not paying you anything. You gotta figure out how to monetize that transaction. That's mm-hmm. the value unit that why everyone's coming is to complete this job. And uh, so we did end up developing a, uh, in addition to the subscription model, a transactional model that started with a uh, 10% transaction fee. Um, today, it's not, uh, it, today it's 20%. So the options are, hey, you can sign up for free for the talent or you can upgrade to a premium subscription, which just unlocks additional features and benefits. Um, and on top of that, for work that is procured through the platform, which of course we want all of it to be uh, done so, um, we, we you know, capture the payment and uh, disperse the payment as well too. So we're capturing the payment upfront, which gives the talent the guarantee and peace of mind that they can do the work and mm-hmm. get paid in a timely manner. Um, and, uh, and then the client, um, again, just simplifies that payment process, which old world, uh, you know, much more complicated with contracts and some situations unionized rules, like clients move fast. If you're in an ad agency, You just want to find a great talent, pay by credit card and get the file really same day or next day and and, uh, be on your way. So we we feel like, you know, this transactional model ultimately did solve um, real world pain on both sides of the market. And that's why I think it uh, continues to work well today.
0: Right. That's awesome. David, can you talk as as Voices.com evolved and became more of a platform and more of a, I, you you can call it a tech company, right? You are an online marketplace. Most of it's automated in terms of uh, what you guys are providing. Obviously, mm-hmm. then the workers are still doing the work. How did things change for you as a, we'll just call you like, you know, regular entrepreneur to tech co-founder and, and kind of like tech company operator?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, one of the uh, moments I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs will hopefully identify with this is when you go from you know just the founding team to the first employee, I think right. that's I think that's a real moment. For us, it was hiring somebody who could help out with customer service and support. We had a toll-free phone number that we put on the in the header of uh, like the masthead of every page on the entire website and the and the web application. Um, so we got a lot of inbound phone calls, and it was a toll-free number as well too um and because there was a lot of talent looking to get into the industry so we realized we needed somebody to provide um, some support there that you know i think we got up to about 10 maybe 15 people and that next moment was okay it, it can't just be you know at the time you know me managing everyone and all the workload and kind of priorities and and communication that uh we needed to st- at the beginning, kind of start that, you know, management team, uh, if you will. And that usually it occurs when you're at like, you know, 10, 15, 20 people, there's like, there just needs to be a bit of a bit of a structure there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's one thing where, as entrepreneurs, we have a tendency to feel like we want to do it all of ourselves. And probably something you've heard many, many times before, Josh, but not sharing anything new. But I think you just realize In order to scale, I need to let go and therefore instead of spending time doing the work, I'm actually probably going to be, you know, I might do it at the beginning just so I can document and write, Mm -hmm. be it a, you know, SOP standard operating procedure, we call them handbooks and playbooks. Um, So a handbook for, I mean, now every, like really every functional area has one. There's a, you know, the handbook for marketing and it'll just go through demand generation you know customer marketing product marketing you know corporate communications like it's it's kind of all mapped out there in a single google doc which is really helpful for onboarding a new employee because Mm -hmm. one of the first things is just i get it's dry but this is going to be the source of truth read through it ask questions you know there's a term you don't understand there um, have those conversations so i think what we're Um, What we're talking about is like systematizing processes that you once did and then be okay with someone else doing the work Uh, and and, and then give yourself a pass. If there's a tendency to feel like you're drawn back into it, um, I I guess I apply is it Winston Churchill's, you know, trust but verify. So I think you you do need to trust people to do it and then do spot checks. And that could Mm -hmm. either be, you know, you can set up structure around that. Where it's maybe a once a month reporting session, or it's a weekly one-on-one with the person who's kind of kind of running it and doing it, um, you know, day in day out. Um, you know, I found reporting sessions are a great way to consolidate a lot of information, look at the data, um, as well as hear recommendations for how to improve that area, and you're really just raising up, you know, that next generation within your company or. Or providing a sense of ownership over that area, but those are you know these are I'm probably making it sound easier than it is. It's probably more emotional than than technical, but right, uh, the standardization of processes is is absolutely critical in those early days uh, if you can do it well.
0: Right, absolutely, David. Can we spend a quick minute talking about uh, funding? for two reasons. I mean, number one, I believe that you guys bootstrapped for quite some time, and so I'm curious to hear about uh, why and, and what, what that was like, and then what the experience was like uh, of actually going through the funding process, if you have any tips for, uh, on that as well.
1: Yeah, I'd lo- I love to. I hopefully I can, um, you know, make, make this a, a, a valuable, and, and as you say, some of those tips just from experience. I mean, we, and I say we, Stephanie and I, um, we're, uh, the the uh, two sole shareholders of voices for many years um hmm. yet we were able to secure debt financing with the canadian um you know the business development bank of canada um, our first loan with them was uh 250000 dollars uh I, there were some earlier ones but kind of got up to 250 then 500 900 2 million dollars was was a, a term loan which is hmm. pretty unheard of for a tech company it's not like they were investing in assets, it was really all intellectual property, like a growth plan of hiring employees and investing in sales and marketing. And Hmm. so at the um, as part of that experience with the uh, the BDC Business Development Bank of Canada, uh, we were paired up with a strategic growth advisor, um, who really evaluated like, what's your strategic plan, like over three years, we kind of had like an annual operating plan, but like if we really want to take that next step, like what's that big play that you're making? That one big kind of push. And uh, we evaluated a number of opportunities and options. And the one we landed on was actually acquiring a competitor. Hmm. Uh, And they were, did something similar um, in the same space, of voiceover, but they were in Los Angeles, um, kind of more boots on the ground type of a situation. And uh, yet we realized if we're going to acquire a competitor, this isn't really something you, you know, you, you borrow money to do. It's like, let's find an investor. And so you're right, we were Stephanie and I were the, those those two owners really and founders for goodness, well over 10 years. Wow. And didn't, you know, paid ourselves a salary paid, you know, had, I think at the time, like 100 employees. Jeez. and It was really just the two of us. And so I think we had recognized that we had kind of achieve that building a lot of value in the company, that, you know, a c- couple things converged, an opportunity to acquire a competitor. Um, and it was probably getting prudent to perhaps as they say, take some money off the table, you know, you, you spent a decade doing something, paying yourself probably below, you know, market rates. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, all, all the eggs were in that one basket, including the chicken and the hen and the cow and the whole farm was all in this one kind of uh, voices basket. So, right. um, when we went to consider, you know, and, and uh, you know, had the ideal term sheet in mind, if you will, of what an investor would look like, that um, being able to take some some money out, which is known as the secondary capital, primary capital goes into the business for use of proceeds. You know, in this case, to acquire acquire that company. And then have some secondary capital as well too that would go to the existing shareholders who, in this situation, um, was was Stephanie. You know, very modest amount, but I think gave us some you know financial security and some breathing room to like, all right, great, let's go at it for the next um, for the next several years. Right. So the 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 first thing was a decision, you know, is to decide that you're going to go raise the capital because it is as you've experienced kind of firsthand, it's pretty time consuming. And it's just like becomes your main thing that you do. Um, For me, because we had that 10 year history, what I had done is I took down every name of whenever I get an investor, I knew this day was going to come. But I wrote down a name of every investor, their email address where I met them, I just kept it in a big spreadsheet, it wasn't fancy, just kept them in a big spreadsheet. So that the first thing I did was I emailed out A note uh, and I said, um, voices.com raising 15 to 20 million dollars was the subject line. And then kind of describe, hey, here's what we're thinking of. Um, You know, if you recall, we met here, here's where we're at. If this sounds interesting to you, I can send you a one pager. So I had a one page PDF as a first kind of piece of marketing collateral. So that would be my first tip. Then after you send that out, then the people who, uh, or, you know, people who replied, I went from 200 on that list down to about 80, 80, 90 people replied. I send the one pager and I said, Hey, if you like what you see, let's get on a call. So I didn't ask for the call. I didn't cold call people right away. I didn't just push in for me. I was constantly trying to, you know, um, you know, influence people to demonstrate interest. Mm-hmm. So of all those calls, and was, I think I did 80 calls. Um, I was actually reading off of a full business presentation that I had created. The benefit of doing so is that I could ensure that I'm giving the exact same numbers, the same story over and over, in the exact same numbers in terms of growth rate, number of customers, you know, average spend per customer, all of these different dimensions, because I'm literally reading off a presentation. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Hey, listen, it sounds like you're really interested. Are you know?" half an hour kind of, you know, blew by pretty quickly in terms of an intro call. um, I'm going to send you the presentation. If you like what you see, I'm planning to do a roadshow and I can come visit uh, and meet you in person um, just to advance the conversation. So Stephanie and I lined up 20 meetings Hmm. and did a roadshow across, um, started in Toronto, Boston, New York, LA, and San Francisco and Silicon Valley and then flew home. And out of those, we were meeting investment committees, speaking to partners, and it's kind of now you're in person, giving the pitch and the product demo. And uh, when we return home, it was, okay, let's now drive towards you know collecting term sheets. So we, again, sent one last email out that says, hey, we're uh, if, if again it sounds like we're really engaged here we'd love to be able to see uh, your turn you know if you're interested to submit a term sheet by X date um, and uh, you know hopefully you know let, let's make this happen so the the key takeaway there is we were very prepared we had a process we had all the documents ahead of time before kicking off the process and we had a deadline and I think a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. just kind of they don't hear no, so they just keep following up and it just kind of drags out. Whereas if you are in control of the process as the entrepreneur, instead of letting the investor say, oh, send me more information, send me more, it'll, you'll get people at different stages of the timeline and the investor will always want more information, yet,
0: right.
1: you know, and you'll just be kind of caught in a loop. Um, and I think they they're very well meaning, but you also need to move on with the business to, you know, execute your strategic plan and your value creation plan. So that that kind of term sheet deadline uh, we found was uh, was very very helpful. So I don't know. Ho- hopefully you find that uh, that helpful, and and the listeners do as well in terms of uh, how we went about raising capital. I, and I should I guess the the you know closing remarks on that is we ended up working with Morgan Stanley, a global investment bank. They're their uh, private equity and kind of technology group in uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley and raised $18 million US as our series. Wow. A. So I feel it went from like bootstrapped to 18 million um, was a pretty big injection into the company and and uh, and a learning curve in of itself. But it turned out quite well for us.
0: Yeah, that, that's incredible, David. Great advice. I mean, first and foremost, to to bring a tech company bootstrapped to 100 people, and just the two like co-founders as shareholders, I feel like, I don't know, maybe you can count that on like one or two hands, the amount of North American companies that have done that. So that, that's really incredible. The fundraise, super good advice. Uh, I did the same thing in terms of like a Google spreadsheet of investors or potential investors that I would one day maybe need to talk to. The one thing I want to quickly add is what I did based on a suggestion, which worked out really well for me was kept the list and then ask those people if they wanted to be put onto my email list, where every month or two, I would actually send them an update email about the company. And the reason why that worked really well is it kept them updated. They were hearing the story. They were So so when it was time to raise, they already knew who I was and felt a little bit more comfortable and, and blah, blah, blah. And I still have that email list to this day that I send usually once every one to two months. I send an update. Yep. And... Uh, that's really, no, I
1: love that. It, you know, we, I, I do the same thing. Um, you know, at the, it, you know, I, I love that you keep that up. And I mean, the benefit of the Google sheet is like, you're, it's like red, yellow, green. You're, you have mm-hmm. all the columns of like, you're moving the people along. Um, but yeah, that, the, up, that's actually really important because as we, as we know firsthand, it's a process. And it, it's not going to be one and done where the first person says yes. And like checks in your, you know, money's in the bank next week. Mm-hmm. that even that capital raising process or as you're warming up to it people need to develop some kind of relationship so I call those mm-hmm. emails I call them flash reports oh. um, I don't want to just say hey uh, investor update I just go oh voices flash report um, and uh, so I definitely did that kind of like a, a bit of a running start like a 30 60 days um, right you no know, r- running start and it just gives some quick bullets. Uh, from time to time i I likewise even receive those from other entrepreneurs kind of within within the circle and like they're like really well done so um, metrics yeah. driven just demonstrating progress you know where you at on the capital raise um if you know if you can be so kind of open on that one uh, but yeah I, I love I love that yeah, that you've done that and, and continue to do so because you're right you never know when that next opportunity is either you'd need the money or you want the money or you're you're ready for it, and likewise, that investor, um, you know, timing, you know, kind of might align with them as well too, where they want to mm-hmm. take that next step.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, lastly, to kind of finish up on that topic, and, and people ask me now, you know, what is it like to fundraise? I think fundraising is just sales, right? It's it's like anything else. You're div- like you said you need to develop relationships with people in this case it's investors who sometimes have lots and lots of money but at the end of the day they're still people right they they put their pants uh, what's the saying you put your jeans on the same way or whatever yeah and, and it's
1: uh one leg at a time just like everybody else exactly
0: yep. you got to build trust you got to build familiarity and, and and that's what leads to these things so anyways uh, David, this has been a, a great conversation. I could probably think of another hundred questions to ask, but uh, we, we got to respect people's time here. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. The story is incredible. The, the business itself is is very impressive in the way you kind of started and grew it. And God knows, you know, you're, you, I'm sure you'll continue. Um, if people want to either connect with you or, or learn more about the business or yourself, where do you recommend that they go?
1: really the best place would be to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, just David Cicerelli on LinkedIn. Um, that way we can be in touch, uh, not just a, a one time, but uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, admire and celebrate each other's careers uh, as, as we grow. Uh, and then if you are interested in either signing up as a voice talent or an audio producer, you can sign up for free on on voices.com or perhaps you're uh, as we uh, you know, have most of us here are an entrepreneur. Maybe you want to launch a product Uh, tutorial or some kind of promotional video and you need a voice um, then hopefully we can uh, serve you on voices.com
0: awesome we will have links to both of those the linkedin profile and the website in the description david thanks again for coming on the show really appreciate it
1: hey thanks so much josh great being here